You're listening to Soul Roadmap, episode 42. Welcome to Soul Roadmap Podcast. Each week, you'll hear strategies and inspiration to take action and live life better. Hi, I'm Dina Cataldo, lawyer, coach, and entrepreneur. This podcast is your roadmap to creating more success in your life, business, and relationships. Let's get started. Well, good morning. Well, for me, it's morning. I hope you're having a wonderful day. It is raining in Sacramento nonstop. And it's beautiful, but I do not want to go outside, (laughs) but it is beautiful. I've got these lovely camellia trees that I'm looking at and some green grass and some flowers that are trying to peek through in my garden beds. So it's really nice for my yard and it's beautiful. I got to tell you, so this past week and a half, I've been doing live masterclasses for lawyers and launching the Lawyer's Soul Roadmap. And it has been a week. I mean, a really good week because it's been a week where I've been learning and doing all those things to grow as a human, you know, that that kind of thing. But it takes an amazing amount of mental fortitude moving forward every day and making improvements on everything and making sure I'm, you know, getting the word out and letting people know what they can learn. And it's also really interesting because on social media, I will actually see people who don't fully feel like they understand what I'm trying to do. And so that means my messaging, I feel like my messaging is off. And so like, I'll get kind of snarky comments from just like two lawyers, right? Because these are the people who can't be reached right now. You know how it is when you find the teacher when you're ready, or you're ready for a concept when you hear it in a certain way. And there are certain people who simply are not able to hear what you have to say. And that's okay. Those aren't the people I'm talking to. I'm talking to you, the one who is actually listening to this podcast and trying to open up to new ideas and learning things. But it's really interesting for me to see the resistance that some people put up when they're faced with something that is not in their wheelhouse, when it's not something that they have learned in their life. So all I do is, you know, I say, hey, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. I then explain some things. And, you know, I've had some good responses in return. So that's been really nice. But it's just really interesting to watch how people process information. And that's really something that I enjoy. I enjoy being aware of my own emotions when I respond to something, when something triggers me. And that's something that, you know, I am constantly attempting to be aware of. And when I feel those things coming up, but the people that are responding are not people who are the people who are taking an active role in their life right now. And of course, I can always hope that that changes. But you know what? They're exactly where they're supposed to be, right? Just like you and me, we are exactly where we are supposed to be. So if you are still listening to this while I'm running my master classes, if this is Thursday morning, the 28th of February, I highly recommend you go to dinacataldo.com forward slash masterclass to grab the last few spots that are available. And I'm teaching five secrets to finding ease and creating boundaries in your legal practice. Now, this may not be what you think. I'm not teaching meditation or time blocking or anything like that. These are techniques that you can implement now. It's really about managing your mind. And you'll see results in how you manage your workload at the office as a result. 
So go to dinacataldo.com forward slash masterclass to grab your spot. Now, if you're interested in joining me for the Lawyer Soul Roadmap, it's open for enrollment right now. It's open for a few more days if you're listening to this on the 28th. And I also talk about that during the masterclass. You can also go to dinacataldo.com forward slash join to learn more about the Lawyer Soul Roadmap. All right, on to the show. So I'm talking to Nina Kaufman today. She's the founder of You Design You based in San Francisco. She works with companies to create healthy, productive, and fulfilling work cultures. Her work really appeals to people who want to create a safer, more productive, and more fulfilling work culture. And she also teaches a lot about how to supervise people in a way that inspires them to want to grow as opposed to using tactics that use fear or coercion. Why did I want her on Soul Roadmap? Well, Office culture in a law firm is very just like any workplace, but I've noticed that so much of what happens in law firms is that you're only as good as your last trial, your last contract, your last client that you brought into the firm. And the tendency is to cluster people into rock stars and island of lost toys. So this is a mentality that starts at the top and then filters its way down into the associate's. Then the associates begin looking down on other associates, depending on where they're assigned within the office. And over time, there's a certain cachet for each assignment based on what they've learned from their supervisors. And this is something that becomes part of the firm's culture and seems almost impossible to uproot. This is the reason a lot of people jump ship for other firms. It's also the reason for bad morale within the firm for those who stay. They don't feel appreciated and they don't always feel like they're part of a team within the larger firm. So Nina's going to talk to us today about her work with companies, which is changing cultures to create a more productive and happier work environment. And everything that she talks about will be linked on my website, as well as the links to the masterclass and to the Lawyer Soul Roadmap, if you're listening to this on the 28th of February. And they will be at dinacataldo.com forward slash 42. That's dinacataldo.com forward slash 42. All right, let's dive in and chat with Nina. Hi, Nina. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Nina. I'm so glad that you could be here. We had some really great conversations when we got to meet up together in San Diego for the Amy Porterfield's conference. So I was really excited when we figured out that you would be a perfect fit for the podcast. So again, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So introduce yourself to people. Okay. So I'm a business coach. I live in San Francisco, California, and I work with small businesses, tech companies, corporations, some who I can't name, but we all know them because we use them all the time. So businesses of all sizes and industries. And I coach on two different topics primarily. One is how to grow your business in a way that's really aligned with your bigger picture ideas for even having a business but very tactically how to do that. And the other is how to create a a culture, which another way to think about that is an environment where people are doing their best work. So those are kind of the two directions that I work in. And the topic that really fascinated me was how to build a culture that really produced stellar work. And particularly that interested me because I have worked with some amazing people And in an environment that's high pressure, you know, law offices are high pressure. But I have to say that I have observed and I've personally felt that morale has not always been the highest. It very much 
depends upon what's happening in, you know, a certain period of time because, you know, there's a lot of leadership changeovers in an office where the head person is voted in. So that's going to change over time. But particularly, I was interested in how we can educate people who are in positions of authority that the culture within their office could use improvement because I don't think that people who are at the top necessarily understand what it's like to be in the trenches. For my analogy, it would be a line of staff attorney. So an associate who maybe is working in a civil firm, you know, newer to the office, and then those who are working themselves up to partner as one example, or you know, a brand new prosecutor or defense attorney in a large office is not going to be uh, the same confidence level. They're not going to have the same understanding of the culture. And when they do start to figure things out, they're taking cues from the people on top who've maybe not been set the best example in the past. Yeah. So I'd like to hear some of your experiences in terms of tackling that issue, trying to educate people in these leadership positions as to there even being a problem. It's such a great question. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head because the first piece is that these are cultures that have been happening for a long time. People are brought up in unsupportive you know, environments themselves, right? So maybe they might remember from their far away past what it was like to be an associate, but they came up maybe in an environment that wasn't that supportive or they came up in an environment that wasn't that intentional. So the first thing I always say to people is it's not your fault and you're not just missing the mark that everyone else has for not realizing it. And I think that's really important because... It's not about blaming anyone. It's just about becoming aware and enlightened to what is really going on. And, you know, I do this culture work in so many companies of so many sizes and, like I said, industries. And the thing that I notice is that it's not intentional. It's not what we need to do. But most people have never worked in an environment that is actually really healthy and supportive and productive. So it's a complete lack of awareness. So the first piece of it is just understanding that actually it is possible to have a company and run a business in a way where every person at every level feels supported and appreciated and is also being held accountable and growing, but in a way that feels actually good to people. And I think the difference that's really important is when people say, well, I don't care how people feel. I just want them to do hard work. You know, like you might have that answer if the bottom line or the results is the most important thing. And what I want to always say, and this is the perfect moment to really get this, People do their best work when they feel supported. People do their best work when they feel like they're being seen and respected. And then the other part of it is people will grow in their jobs and produce much more results over time when they feel like they matter in the bigger picture. And I love the way that you're phrasing that. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about how women in particular in law firms have really taken on this masculine persona. Because, you know, the legal profession was, and most professions have been male dominated. And so women really feel the need to take on the masculine traits of, you know, you got to kill it. And basically it's kill or be killed. If you're not in a certain unit, if you don't have a certain assignment, if you don't have a certain cachet, depending upon where you're positioned within that office, somehow you are less than. And I really feel like that is something that was primarily instilled by us by trying to live up to these models that we thought we needed to be like. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree that when women come into a male-dominated culture, the experience is trying to sort of, we are kind of talking about like living up to or rising to that level, whatever that means. We know it's not actually better or higher. I also just want to say for all the men, they are in the same boat, right? Because at some point in their lives, they felt that's how they needed to be. And so that's the thing about culture. Culture is pervasive attitudes and beliefs and behaviors. It doesn't mean everyone decided consciously, I like this culture. So we all come into an environment that we feel like in order to belong, I'm going to do what I need to do. And so I just always like to kind of put that out there because as a woman, and I work with so many women leaders, and you know, a lot of these women are actually running their own companies or running women-led companies. And so they're not actually in the exact same experience. But for all the women who are, who I also work with, it's actually all of us, including those men who once were boys, who felt like in order to belong here, this is how I have to act. So that's where I like to really take it back to this place of if we start from a place of blame or sort of judgment of why it's happening, we tend to point fingers. And that behavior, just the behavior of pointing fingers and blaming, which is blaming, it's the antithesis of what's going to actually help the culture. So to have a major culture shift, and I talk about this a lot with people and you're really getting to it, is it has to start from the top down. It doesn't need to come from a place of judgment or self-hate or blame of anybody. We just have to commit that we want to stop doing that and we want to change the way we all work together. So women 100% are in this experience a lot of the time where they're coming into a different culture and trying to meld, right? Trying to be included and accepted and that makes sense. But we could all use the change in culture, not just the women. Yeah, you know, it's great that you mention it like that. And that's not something that I totally incorporated in my thought process, but that's completely true. Is it's like it's an entity into itself. It's something that you do walk into and everyone's walking into it and they're all trying to live up to the expectations that they believe have been set before them. I really like that. Yeah. And and just to add one piece to it to understand culture, again, it's a very complex topic, but if we really look at it from a high level, Culture is almost like group habits, group beliefs. It's like the predominant or pervasive stuff going on. But again, it's not decided. So because it's what's already going on when anyone sort of is introduced to it, there's not a moment of choice and question. It's just join in on the habits that are happening around us. So in your experience, when you have been working with these large companies, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you feel like you come across in trying to change mindsets? Yeah. So it starts with that it requires a pretty significant commitment. And I don't like to scare people off. So I really want people to understand that the commitment is not to you know turning everything upside down. It's really just a commitment to growth and it's personal growth actually for all of us to just be able to challenge like, how am I showing up as a human being? And there's actually code to it. Like I have a system that I teach for doing it and it's not that it's that complex, but there are several steps and it takes time to absorb the information and change habits. So I think one of the first pieces is really to understand that it will take time, which means it takes patience. But when I say time, I mean six months to a year. If people really commit to it and are willing to take a holistic approach, which absolutely we can, that's not that much time in the grand scheme of a company. But it's still not tomorrow. And it's not like, oh, we can just put out a memo and everything's going to change, right? It does take looking at systems, 
creating systems and structure where they don't exist. And I do think that there's actually a system that's pretty easy to take on. It's not like it's unknown, but that takes work. That takes time and patience and just commitment to it. Um, also, varying lengths of history, right? So it's not like new companies have it any better than old, long-standing companies with a big history. It doesn't really matter. It's more about, I'm going to put myself into it. And what I find at the end of it is that once people are really rolling, it feels so good that people don't want to stop the growth. They don't want to stop the change. And it's embracing, empowering feeling to be involved in it. And it's certainly from the top, you know, it can be very compelling and fulfilling to be able to change a company that way and provide that kind of job for people. So I get that there's a commitment. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about how people at the top can start recognizing that there's even an issue that needs to be addressed. But can you give us some examples of some of the more drastic shifts that you have observed in some of your coaching understanding that they're coming from a place of, you know, and fill in the blank example, and then they're actually shifting to a better place, which is fill in the blank example. Okay. So where people are generally coming from is that they have some high performers, which is what I call people who are just performing their jobs really well, taking initiative, they're professional, they're creative, they do their jobs really well. And you've got some people who are not performing their jobs really well, or you've got a lot of people who are doing parts of their job really well and parts of their job not really well. And I want to really just recognize that a job is not just the technical thing I was hired to do. It's also how do I work with people around me? Like how good of a collaborator am I? Right? Because I can't produce the same results if I can't collaborate well with other people. So most companies, when they start working with me, are coming from a place where the majority of people or most people are not in most areas of their jobs really high performing, whether it's about the technical, the, co- the collaborative, you know, just how they're resourceful, creative. It's not happening from everyone or most everyone. So that's one place. And, and I would say in a lot of companies, especially those that have been around a long time, you might have years of people who are still there, but there's a lot of gaps in what they could be doing to perform their job better and get better results. Okay, so that's where people start. And a lot of companies think there's no way we can change this. Sure, we might see some changes, but I can't imagine how big those changes will be. That's where people often start. Once we get through and we get significant work done, and I won't say significant time has passed, but a good chunk of the work is now rolling and we're in it. We start to see people change that we never thought would change. We start to see that the bar of high-level work goes up. Right. So even our understanding of what's possible is limited by the bar that was before. Now, because people are so much more invested in their jobs because they feel so good in that role, so supported, they're going to push themselves to grow and learn and do much higher level work. So that is, I think, on the ground, some of the big differences. And then the other really big differences are that in the initial culture, people don't really love work. They complain about it. They feel unappreciated. They feel like it's a competitive world. It doesn't feel good. And at the end, or again, the end is sort of like at the end of starting to implement, not the end of the process, but just the end of really getting all the pieces, the key pieces implemented, people start to feel better. And that is really huge, number one, because that's its own result. And then it just leads back to the other result. Again, because when people feel really appreciated and valued, they're going to grow more. They're going to do better work. 
So one of the things that I have really noticed in my profession, and there's a lot of professions that experience this, but in the legal profession, stress and overwhelm are things that you know, really take over their lives and people don't recognize how it's impacting their body, how it's impacting their focus. And in fact, right now I'm in the middle of a launch for the Lawyer Soul Roadmap where I'm actually talking about these things and how we can begin changing our mindset and how we can begin shifting some of the things that we do every day to get out of that autopilot. So I imagine that in your line of work that there is also some of that involved, that overwhelm, that stress. And I'm wondering whether or not that is something that you address in terms of that impeding job performance, because I know that that has an impact on our performance and not creating the boundaries that we need to do or not even being taught how to get your inbox in order, how to prioritize, how to do all the basic things that you know, you're just kind of thrown into and not necessarily taught and given that foundation. Is that something that you bump up against? Oh, yeah. I would say you're sort of naming one part of why we end up in this place in the first place is that we don't have good skills at emotional management. And right before our emotions or our feelings in our lives comes our thinking. (laughs) It's actually our thinking that causes our feelings and emotions. And so we don't have a lot of great skill or even self-awareness around just that cause and effect, even understanding how our thoughts come into play and how our feelings come into play. And so I don't start there out the gate with most people because it's <laughs> like, what are we talking about? <laughs> right. That is a complete part of the whole system. It's a requirement, actually, because the system is based on, and this is my philosophy and approach, and this is what I'm working to really help companies do is bring the human more into their company, understand that when we understand how humans work and we accept that and work better with the human parts of who we are, we will get better results on the ground. So We know this is true once we establish this, but I would just say as a tool and as a process or as practical, in practical terms, dealing with that directly is a huge part of it. It's a huge part of the process. So we have to learn where do our emotions come from? How are we creating them? And I don't just mean philosophically learn about it, but truly understand how I cause my stress in my particular way. And you get to learn how you cause your stress in your particular way. And you really learn skills around this, not just philosophy, but real hard skills. And then you learn the skills for, and how do we change that? And it's quite empowering because nobody enjoys working under stress and overwhelm. For the company, it produces terrible results. For the person, it produces terrible results, right? Yes. So this is foundational to the process. And I love that you address that because... You know, I'm just addressing a lawyer, like a solo practitioner or a person who is an associate or somebody who's, you know, a line attorney. And so just having that impact on one person, even if the culture in your company isn't stellar or it doesn't feel good to you, there are ways for you to start impacting your life personally. But what I'm really intrigued by with what you do, Nina, is that you really start to change the machine. and. I think that once you start doing that, that then you can start, and this is probably part of what you do, tell me if that's right, you can then start putting into place those structures at the very beginning to start making the people who are coming into your company more productive and more in line with this new culture that they've created. 100%. It's funny. You said two things I want to touch on. One is it's an individual and collective effort. So this is not something you can just put on the business like a blanket and then it takes care of it. 
This is about changing individual humans throughout the business and the culture collectively. And we all have to take part in that process. So the other thing that you were mentioning is how when people come into the culture, they really get to start to learn you know, these different processes and tactics. But I actually start a few steps before that, which is also how to hire people who are most likely going to be on culture. That's a huge part of it. And, you know, to be totally honest, if the leaders of a company really want to change the company and move towards a more safe, productive, fulfilling, you know, wonderful culture that is producing better results, ultimately, they have to be willing to accept that not everybody who currently works here necessarily is going to stay for the ride because they won't be willing and they won't be good for it. And we don't actually want people to work in a company that are not aligned with the company culture, whatever that is. So through the process, sometimes there might be just a small group of people who are like, I don't want this type of culture. And it's usually out of fear of change, right? It's not because the culture that we're working towards is worse. It's because of what it will require, which is just change. And that's okay. And certainly, we're going to hopefully hire more people in the future. So we need to really be prepared to make that team initially the kind of people who are wanting to work this way. Then we can train them with the systems that help this happen. Okay. I think that that is something that I have noticed when you really find those quality people who embody the traits that you want, they're going to perform better. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is trying to get people in authority to recognize when there needs to be a culture shift. Because I feel, based on what I have observed in different places, is that there is not always an awareness that there is a problem. And I don't know if it's ignored. I don't know if it's they don't have the resources to address the issue, what it might be. But when people start leaving a company to go to another company, when they start leaving an office where they've been for years and have established themselves to go to another place, I mean, I would think that there would be some recognition that there may be a need for change but I don't always see that. And so I wanted to know what some of your tips were for people who could start recognizing that there needs to be a change. Yeah. I think if you're really disconnected from what people feel about working there, that's one place to start. So even just doing company surveys and doing it in a way that creates both safety for revealing real good information, and also that really actually brings out useful information and data that's important to the process. But if you can manage that, asking and finding out how are people feeling about the work environment and not using the word culture, because I do think people are confused by the word culture, but really just replace that with work environment. How do you feel about the work environment? What works about our work environment and what doesn't? You're going to reveal those answers. I would absolutely recommend that people do exit interviews with people. The tricky part is, again, getting people to be honest. Amazingly, people are typically more honest when their job is not on the line. (laughs) Amazing, right? Yeah. So a lot of people that employ that strategy and use exit interviews, they find that they hear things from people. And I hear this from owners and leaders and the highest level people all the time. I wish they told me before. Why didn't they tell me before? So what that tells us is, okay, A, we're getting really important data. And B, it's not safe to tell you. (laughs) So that's why we didn't tell you before, right? So that's what's going on. So when you start to ask those questions, it's the first start. And you tapped into this. There's a lack of self-awareness. And if you want to first understand if you need this or not, step one is to get self-aware, meaning company self-aware. 
How is this for people? What is working? What isn't working? Why? And just being willing to take that in without judgment, even without self-judgment. Like you don't have to feel like, oh my gosh, you know, this is all my fault. But to learn this information and be open enough to take it in is a first step. And if you're not doing work to really intentionally think about this stuff already, then I would say that is it. That's your first step. And so if there is a person in authority who recognizes that there is an issue, then what are the baby steps that you recommend that they take? Step one is really making agreement. And again, best case scenario, right from the top, people are making an agreement. This is what we want. And we are willing to work hard for it. We're willing to fail in the meantime and make mistakes. We're gonna, we're willing to stick with this process. So that is the first step. It's not small either. It sounds like, oh, sure, I'm committed. Yeah, I want that. But I don't mean that. I really mean like, I'm really willing to put in whatever resources I can and put some time to this. The next thing is I would find yourself a system for doing it. You want to do this efficiently. You know, this is not the industry that the company is in, right? Most people are not in the culture changing industry. They're in the legal industry or whatever industry they're in. So find someone who manages change like this that has proven success. There are a lot of change management people out there and some of them are amazing and some of them are not. And like anyone that you're hiring, you want to do due diligence to make sure you understand what they've done in the past. I think from there, and this is funny because this is another one of those things people aren't always self-aware about. It's a matter of them trusting the process. And patience is a big part of it, which is not, again, like commitment. It's not just, oh yeah, we're going to be patient, but it's willingness to see things not change overnight and stick with it. So the system itself, I wouldn't expect any company to just know what that would be. And I think getting that guidance from an outside resource is really smart. There's a lot of reasons for that. I just want to tell you a couple. Obviously, it's someone who can bring in an efficient system, right? Who like actually has a system to use. The other thing is having an outsider help with this work is highly beneficial because you want to know that whoever's helping the process is not inside of it because they're going to have better perspective. They're going to be able to deliver harder news more easily and more quickly. And it also kind of creates more of an event out of it, which gets people more on board and ready to do the work than when someone inside just says, let's change. So I will give you a example that I'm curious to know what your opinion is on this because I have seen in, in my office in particular, I, I love that they have added a program that has really focused on health and mental health, mental well-being and physical health, kind of all wrapped up into one. And it's been spearheaded by one of our attorneys who, a couple of our attorneys who have really felt that there was a need for education about yoga, about different ways to, you know, with mental health, there's different like gyms around our area that they've partnered with to get us, you know, special access to those places so that they could, you know, do a a trial run to see if they liked it. Um, They've also included like a small, healthier snack option area, which has been really good. And I've really loved it. But I have noticed that there was some resentment, and I know that it's still there from other people within the office. And the resentment comes from, okay, why are we getting all these emails about this? Because <laughs> that's one, right? Like, I don't need to be reminded that there's yoga every Friday. Or <laughs> there's other people who didn't like that the snack options were changed. I mean, there were some that were the same, like you could still get your peanut M&Ms and some of your you know, candy options and chip options, but there are a much bigger selection of healthier items there and some of their sodas have been taken away. So that was just one thing that our office has actually worked on to try to bring 
a little bit more morale to bring some more health into our office, which is great. But then how do you battle people who may be a little bit resentful towards that because it's changed something up that they didn't feel a need for? Okay. I love that point. And you are bringing up part of the early part of the system that I use, which is we have to create buy-in at the start. So I'm going to say you're missing the buy-in. Now this feels like a blanket approach. And right. we being placed under something and just told to do it, right? Right. I like to feel like they're part of the solution and they want to feel like I want this. So one of the early steps in the system that I use is we need to get everyone involved in the process of the shift from the very early stages. Well, how do you do that? Because I mean, when you're dealing with a 150 attorney firm, you can't have everybody involved. This is just something that somebody has to take responsibility for, right? So I would disagree. I would say you might not get every single individual involved, but you can get buy-in by getting at least all the levels of people involved, all the types of jobs involved. And then you say, we're looking for representatives because we really want to hear the perspective of everyone. The thing is, what you're asking them, you want it to be really specific. I would literally ask them the same questions I was saying to you before, which is, what is working here in our work environment and what is not? We're looking to really help everyone have a better working environment so it's better for all of us. And we want your input. Just asking for input in the outset and saying we're on this mission and doing this bigger work, all of a sudden, everyone is involved. Mm, yeah, I like that. And you can even express, and I think it's all just about expectation setting and good communication around, we can't talk to 150 people very fast. And we really want to start making change. So we're going to take people from every level and different team or part of the business. So we have representation. And we invite you to let us know if you want to be that person. Or if you aren't that person, or there's just too many people who want you, that you give your thoughts to that person so that we really can collect as much info as we can. I mean, I want to just say there's also surveys. You can collect fast data. I do remember them doing a survey. Like there was a survey that was done. And so people did have an opportunity to give that kind of input. So I guess they did that part right. Except for that you still need to thread the message, which is we're doing this survey because we really want your input. If you don't want to give your input, no problem, but we're really going to want your buy-in. So, you know, please do be involved in this. You have to let people know this is your chance to really give input and start to really be part of what's what's happening. And I think this is the other part of expectation is to say, we will be making some changes. So now people know it's coming. You've planted the seed instead of it feeling like, boom, the snacks changed. I wasn't ready for that, right? Like, where are my Cheetos? People don't want to just show up and find out by no Cheetos in the bag. They want to be told, hey, we're going to do this process. We're asking everybody. We want everyone's input. We're doing all these different things. Now it's like, okay, if I didn't choose to opt in and give you my information, at least I knew it was coming. So when you asked, and I totally understand why you asked it this way, it's kind of like, how do we combat people's frustrations and resistance? And I would say it's more that you have to start from the beginning with that buy-in. And the other thing that I was hearing you talk about, which I imagine, and I know this is very common, is that we understand that physical health and mental health are important. And we very often throw the physical health resources in first. We give people yoga and exercise and food. And we know that those are completely related to mental health. But we don't actually start working on the mental part of mental health. And this, all of the pieces that I am teaching have to do with the mental part of the mental health and the mental part of working well together. How do we think about each other? How do we think about our work? How do we think about our careers in a way that is both productive for the company and myself? Those are not conversations we tend to have, right? Most people are like, I got to look out for me and my job. That's it. 
And the company is thinking, great, those who do that, they're going to get to the top. What they don't recognize is you're still paying other people. You still have warm bodies who you then are not taking advantage of their wealth of knowledge and input. So it really behooves the company and the individual to care about how do I, in my mind, get healthier about the way that I work and work with other people. And that, I mean, that is stuff that would be beneficial when we're in school, right? Like before we even get out into the real world, those are things that would be beneficial to us. And certainly when we're looking at productivity and we're looking at how we can be our best within a company, within a firm, those are things that are essential. And I don't see that enough. I certainly don't see that with the lawyers that I talk to. There may be individual lawyers who are interested in mental health and changing their perspectives and understanding that their thoughts are what's creating their feelings, which are what's creating their actions in the world. But I have to say, I don't see that even mentioned among the majority of attorneys that I talk to. Yeah, well, you named it. And I totally agree with you. We don't learn this stuff. And I talk about this a lot. This is a piece that I want leaders to really recognize is there's nowhere in our lives that we learn the art of collaboration. And if you pause and kind of step back and understand that the art of collaboration, the actual skills of collaboration is everything, right? It's everything having to do with influence, respect, trust, inspiring people, all the things you want to be able to do in the world to create great results in your job, no matter what industry or level of a company you're in, require you to be able to... It's the art of relationship and the art of collaboration. And both of those things, the art of relationship and collaboration, those are not taught in school. That's not common knowledge. So from a systemic place, it's not around us. And you know, I do question when would be the right time in life that people are really ready for that if it's not their culture that they live in. And that's a much bigger question. But I do think that any company has not only... I, I wouldn't call it it's your responsibility because look, companies can go on through the entire life of the company and never take that responsibility. But it's their opportunity. And I think of it as a win-win-win all around because when they take the opportunity to make these changes and teach people literally the art of relationship and the art of collaboration, you have this opportunity to make your business skyrocket. And it also is an impact on the larger culture within your industry and within the greater world. So that does really appeal to a lot of people. They want to make a bigger impact. And I think that's a way for many leaders to get inspired about doing this kind of work and having the commitment and what it takes to do the work. I wish that that is something that more people can hear. Like if you're listening to this right now, I hope that you share this podcast because this is something that, you know, if you want to make a bigger impact in this world and you're in any position to influence a larger corporation, a law firm, whatever it may be, wherever you're working, then this is something that you can incorporate and begin not only being bigger in the world, but producing the results that you really want. You know, we all have targets. We all know that we have an end mind and goal, but how do we get there? And is what we're doing good enough? Like, are we really doing good enough right now? And I mean, if you're thinking, okay, good enough. Well, I personally am not a big fan of just good enough. I love excellence. 
So this is right up my alley. Do you have anything that you want to share in terms of examples of anything that you can share with us? I know that you can't really share all of the clients that you work for, but maybe you've got something you can say about that. In terms of like how the impact ripples out into the world when yeah, people do work? ripples yes. out into the world and maybe something like there was a milestone that someone was able to make that they simply weren't able to in the culture that they were in and the work environment that they were in previously. Yeah. Oh, so many. There are so many. I'm thinking of several companies that I think all share some similar wins, which is, you know, I think when a leader is afraid of doing this work just because it is a little bit about like, how am I going to have to grow as a person? Right. How am I going to have to shift as a leader? And that can feel really scary. And I think a lot of people resist that upfront. And what has been so beautiful is that when I'm able to do this work with those people. The shifts, the self-empowerment that comes, again, like once getting into the work and just starting to really see the impacts play out in front of them, it's life-changing for the leaders. It's really life-changing. It's empowering, right? It brings all this new pride to what I can do as a leader. It brings the real fulfillment of giving this gift to all these people who now get to work in such a place that is so incredible to work for. And, and I'm thinking of so many other companies I work for, this whole collaboration idea that when I give these skills to everybody, we all work better together, not just in our own role, but we do better work together as a group. And we all know that you know the sum of the parts is much greater. We have exponential effect when we're all working really well together than if we add up everyone's individual impact. It's what you find when you have a team that's actually working that much better together. It's a little bit like a mysterious thing that you didn't even realize was possible. And then you get to the other side and it's a little bit like palpably powerful what happens when your business changes from this kind of work. I've had such the honor to witness people move from such self-doubt and resistance and absolute refusal to do this kind of work. Like, <laughs> I have way more important work to do than this, right? That's very common. There's not one industry whose business leaders don't feel like, listen, this is nice, but like, I'll get to that at some point, maybe. And for all of those people who started from that place, and I'm saying 100% of the people who have started there and who have then worked into it and allowed this to be part of what they focus on and actually invest in has been completely game-changing personally, professionally, and for the business. 100% of the cases. Do you have any other parting thoughts you want to leave us with? Um... You know, I think simply that we really separate ourselves in terms of our work life and our personal life. And we don't like to think of them as, you know, anywhere near each other, right? We try and really separate the time and separate like, this is who I am at work is how some people feel, but they might want to have a different kind of, you know, persona or life at home. And I think that the most beautiful thing is when we can just realize we're just humans. We're humans in all parts of our lives. So if we have an opportunity to actually build our skills to be more powerful as a human through our job, that's going to make our whole lives improved. That's pretty compelling. I love that. Can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you, Nina? Yeah, thanks. Um, So I can be found at youdesignyou.com. So spelled out Y-O-U, you design you. And there you can find out about my podcast and the work that I do in companies, you know, on culture and, and just everything that I'm up to and what I like to talk about with people. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Nina. I really appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you got a lot out of my conversation with Nina that you can apply. If you're interested in hiring Nina or learning more about what she does, go to my website where I link to everything she mentioned. That's dinacataldo.com forward slash 42. And I will also link to the masterclasses for lawyers and the Lawyer Soul Roadmap if you want to check that out. Go to dinacataldo.com forward slash 42. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Soul Roadmap. If you have a moment, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe, rate, and left an honest review on iTunes. I read every single review, so let me know what you want to hear more or less of, and I'll talk to you next week.